what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the 15 personality traits of people pleaser syndrome. I'm going to do this very quickly. People have asked me about number one, emotophobia, because um, when you put that into Google, what Google will come back with is a rather patronizing, don't you mean emetophobia, which is the fear of uh, vomiting. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I put it into Google Scholar. Now, if you put it into Google Scholar, it will do the same thing. Don't you mean emetophobia? But if you actually look through the, the uh, research papers, one in every four or five is actually about emotophobia, which apparently isn't that, that well-known a thing in psychology. I got it from a researcher called uh, Harriet Breaker, and she wrote a book called Who's Pulling Your Strings? Um, 15 personality traits of people-pleasing syndrome that I'm about to give you are things that I've collected and it's through my reality tunnel, through my filter that was based on uh, three books, conversations with clients and my own experiences. This is not peer reviewed research. There is no psychiatric DSM approved uh, disorder called people pleaser syndrome that I'm aware of. This is just something I think where this crosses over with proper mainstream psychiatry would probably be avoidant personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. I call it uh, people pleaser syndrome. Other, so further qualify, so I don't get people shouting at me in the YouTube comments. Other people call it that as well, but I'm saying, I'm, I want to say this is a proper thing that has 15 traits. May I continue? Thank you. Uh, so number one is emotophobia, and this is the fear of emotion, uh, of negative emotion. All of these things are rooted in complex PTSD that's rooted in childhood trauma and abuse. That abuse and trauma could have either come from passive abuse of being neglected, or, or, or like passive aggression or negative, just of being in a negative emotional environment where it's meta-communicated to the child from the parent that they're not welcome. Maybe they're a burden, maybe they're a hassle, whatever. Maybe you reminded the parent of the other parent. So like I might, in my case, remind my mother of my father and she's angry with my father, so she might hit me because she can't hit my father, just given that as an example. Um, through emotophobia, the fear of uh, people are being in bad moods or making people go into bad moods was the fear of negative emotion. So you end up with people pleaser syndrome. So I suffer from this, never wanting to let anybody feel disappointed, never wanting to make anybody feel let down. Because in childhood, people who suffer from this learned that if you disappoint your parents, the consequences could be severe. You could end up in there, uh, what's it called in 1984, the Ministry of, of, of Love. And, you know, end up being re-educated through torture. Uh, so the second personality trait uh, that I think is hugely important, and this is only my opinion, it's not based on peer-reviewed research, he says yet again, is um, neurotic levels of naivety. The insistence on not seeing reality as it presents itself. Uh, this is the kind of situation where a woman in a relationship with an abusive man will go, oh, I just thought he'd get better. I thought that that would be the last time that he would cheat on me or abuse me. Well, you know, for a guy in a relationship with an abusive girl, I thought that would be the last time she'd steal money from me. She promised me she'd never cheat on me again. And as an outsider, you're going, why would you believe that? Are you mad? Clearly, they're going to keep on doing it, but it's a neurotic level of naivety. Where is this rooted in childhood? Well, my template as a man for relationships with women comes from my mother. If my mother uh, was not showing me uh, love that I needed and she was showing me hatred or rage or psychotic levels of, uh, of, of, of annoyance, um, then I would learn to misinterpret the evidence in order to survive and go, no, no, you should ignore that. 
um, everything is still okay. Same thing would happen for a woman with um, with a man. Um, amongst so just that idea just popped up in my head. Amongst homosexuals, how would it? What would you end up going out with your mum or your dad? I don't know. Uh, you'll have to. I don't know. If anybody wants to open that debate, I'm open to that one. To discussing that one, I guess. Maybe it would be a composite. Anyway, okay, let's let's discuss that another time. The third uh, trait of personality traits of um, people with people pleaser syndrome, duh, is the desire to be liked. You need to have a neurotic desire to be liked. Why? Because you didn't get that approval at home. You didn't get the love and affection at home in the family unit that you needed. So you go outside to fill that void. Uh, this can also manifest as people who end up being a little bit histrionic, drama queeny, drama kingy, because they're addicted to attention, whether it be negative or positive, this is where people-pleaser syndrome drifts over, one of the many ways in which it drifts over to a proper psychiatrically diagnosable, recognized uh, syndrome uh, that is called borderline personality disorder. Just desperate for attention, whether it's negative or positive, don't care. Uh, number four is an external locus of control. This is people who neurotically rely on authority figures to rubber stamp what they want to do or what they want to say. Um, if they're lo if they're locus of control in their lives, it's all about what do my parents think, what do my teachers think, what does the doctor say, what did my solicitor say, what does the government say, and it's all outside, outside, outside. And sometimes when I'm doing therapy with people, I'll just say to them something like, "You don't have to wait for permission to do what you want to do," and it's like a light bulb goes on in their head, and they go, "Wow, nobody's ever said that to me before. That's really empowering." You know, you don't have to wait for permission. If it's not illegal for you to do it, and no government official is going to try and stop you from doing it. You know, go ahead and uh, and do it, and do it harm no other, obviously. Um, number five is an inability to say no. We all struggle with this. I know. I know you do. I know you do. You've got to learn to say no, and you've got to learn to start putting yourself first. Um, and this is a boundary issue. Nowhere is uh, people's lack of personal boundaries and lack of self-worth more evident than an inability to say, no, I'm not doing that. You come this far, but you go no further. I go this far, but I go no further. And no emotional manipulation, no whining, no shaming, no guilting, no leveraging of my of my good nature is going to change the fact that no means no. Cuando digo que no, es que no. <coughs> Forgive my poor Spanish accent. Number six is excessive conscientiousness. This is where you give everybody else's ideas and everybody else's thoughts and arguments their fair day in court but you kind of speed up your own. So you let put somebody talk about their point of view for like half an hour, and then you'll sum up your point of view in 30 seconds because you don't want to waste their time. You know? and, and now here's what I think and here's what I want very quickly. I don't want to, I don't want to keep you. I don't want to disturb you, but here's what I want. I made it small and easy to consume and therefore much easier to disregard. That's called, I, I call that excessive or neurotic conscientiousness. Number seven is a blurry sense of self or having no boundaries. So you don't really know where you stop and the other person begins. This makes you extremely vulnerable to abuse. Everybody who has people pleaser syndrome is, is extremely vulnerable to abuse because vampires will come along and go, mmm, delicious meal for me. Suck. Um, and they will suck upon you. Mmm. They'll drink your milkshake. Blurry sense of self. Again, no boundaries gives you an inability to say no. Don't know where the other person begins and stops you don't know where you begin and stop and you start feeling other people's emotions and that's where you start to go crazy other people's ideas come into your head they're not really coming into your head they're your idea of what the other person wants because you're excessively compassionate you're always putting yourself in other people's shoes but if you're in a room with five people and you've got to continuously be in your shoes and the other five people's shoes all the time it's quite 
exhausting. So some of us will walk away saying, fucking hell, being around other people is really tiring. Excuse me, sniffing and coughing. Um, number eight is being emotionally dependent. Uh, this, this is the, the typical codependent scenario. One little footnote I'd like to give here, and I'm going to speed through it and we'll deal with it on another video, is one thing I've noticed is for people who suffered a lot of complex PTSD as a result of childhood trauma, they develop elements and traits of avoidant personality disorder, which one of the elements of, I've only just learned this myself, is to self-isolate. Start One of the effects of being uh, traumatized and abused is you start self-isolating. So the, the abuse goes with you. The abuse stays in you. That demon, that possession metaphor uh, stays within and you carry it and you continue the abuse. You continue to play the tapes inside your own head and you stay isolated. You don't get help. You don't rely on a social system to give you support. Apart from anything else, that kind of abuse is very isolating because if you try and talk to other people who haven't experienced that abuse, they won't be able to uh, relate. So if you get two isolated people who've got avoidant elements of avoidant personality disorder and they discover each other, two lost children discover each other as adults, they got a head full of trouble, a head full and a heart full of pain. They meet each other and go, oh, excellent. You're my family now. Well, what does that mean? Too much pressure, too much emotion, whirlwind romances, too much emotion that is being levied and an obsession on a person that you don't even really know. So that is uh, being emotionally dependent. And sometimes emotional dependence can be concurrent with just too much emotionality generally. Again, an indication of borderline personality disorder. Emotions swinging up and then going down. Loads of drama in the relationships, loads of fighting and really violent, explosive arguments. Number nine. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, being emotionally dependent, obviously, leaves you open to abuse. Part of people pleaser syndrome. Number nine, low self-confidence, low self-esteem, no personal boundaries, no sense of self-worth. One of the things that, that I do when I'm coaching people is when they get to the point where they conclude, my sense of self-worth has come back. I know who I am. I know what I'm worth and I'm going to fight for what I'm worth and I'm going to keep hold of it. At that point, I know that within a few days after that, the coaching will, will, will be over because there's nothing else I can really give people. So if you want to save your money and fast forward past coaching, if you can get to a point where you regain your sense of self-worth and you hold it as something precious and fight for it and do what we call self-championing, then that's it. You don't, you don't need anything else. But for some of us, it's hard just to get to that place. That's number nine, low self-confidence, low self-esteem, no sense of value of the self. Where does that come from? Probably being raised in an environment where your parents treat you like a piece of shit or actively tell you, you are a piece of shit. Uh, 10, over-intellectualization. This is a tough one. A lot of people who've been the victims, particularly of narcissistic abuse, have a very strong tendency to rationalize, intellectualize, and justify the other people's actions. Yeah, 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 he pulled my fingernails out. But, you know, I was uh, talking and acting like a communist and those communist ideas, they'd infected my mind. So so he was really only trying to cure me of the evil that was within. So I kind of needed my finger. So actually he did me a favor by torturing me. That's over-intellectualization, over-rationalization. Yes, my father is abusive, but he has a good heart. Yes, my mother did used to beat the fuck out of us when she was drunk, but at least she gave us a roof over our heads. Over-intellectualization, rationalization makes you very open to abuse. Number 11 is uh, being addicted to approval. Not just seeking the approval of your peers or your work colleagues, but being addicted. Like if you don't get it, you actually experience withdrawal symptoms like a junkie. You're not getting the, uh, the dopamine release. You're not getting the, the peptide flow has been messed with. So you're actually addicted to approval from others. Number 12, um, nobody likes hearing this one, is immaturity. If you are 
emotionally, psychologically immature or immature to your uh, uh, approach to life, then you, you're going to suffer from people pleaser syndrome because you'll believe in the narratives of, oh, I have to do this. I have to wear these clothes. I have to um, speak like this. I need to impress that person. I need to be in with that group of people. Then I'll be okay. All of these kinds of lines of thinking are rooted in immaturity. How does abuse keep us immature? Well, abuse can actually retard a person's growth. It can, it can keep you locked into a certain phase of your life. This is what I think happened to Michael Jackson. I think beyond a certain age, due to the hideous uh, trauma that he experienced as a, as a child, he never really got past a certain level of maturity. And you only have to look at how he was living his life to see that. And I'm not just talking about the obsession with uh, childhood themes and Never Neverland and Peter Pan and Never Growing Up. I'm talking about the immature way in which... Um, uh, Things were, I'm not going to get too deep into this one because it upsets people. The way in which he handled things was at times neurotically naive and extremely uh, immature. Number 13, too altruistic, excessive amounts of compassion, excessive amounts of philanthropy, always going the extra mile to make sure that everybody feels absolutely fine because it's all your responsibility because you're a people pleaser. So being too altruistic neurotically responsible, neurotically philanthropic, always want to helping everybody, always want to helping everybody. That is not good English. Always wanting to help everybody all the time. Excessive amounts of altruism. Um, number uh, 14 is uh, loneliness, isolation. If you're very lonely, then you're going to be uh, open to abuse and you are going to be suffering from people pleaser syndrome if you're self-isolated. And finally, uh, number 15 is being excessively impressionable. If you are easy to impress, if your mind is easily swayed, if you're, if it's easy to turn your head with a new idea, a new concept, a new trend, a new thing, and uh, you actually get obsessively impressed by people or concepts or things, then you're going to be open to abuse and you're probably suffering from people pleaser syndrome and porous ego boundaries. Okay. That's the 15 traits. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to get those traits cleared up, you can get my self-assertiveness course, which is available below. Please like my Facebook page, The Spartan Life Coach. Um, okay, that's it. Thank you very much for your time and your attention. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you.